You're listening to a podcast from Meaning of Life TV. Uh, hi, welcome to Culture Determined. I'm your host, Arya Cohen-Wade, and my guest today is Leah Finnegan. Uh, Leah, could you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Leah, the executive editor of The Outline and the author of a, a Quattro yearly newsletter, Leah Letter. This is my dog, Baby. <laughs> uh, so, Leah and Baby, thank you for coming on today. Um, we're going to be talking about some of the pieces you've written in the past couple months or year or so that I thought were uh, especially interesting. But yeah, I subscribe to Leah Letter and I encourage other people to. Is it really only, it's only coming out quarterly at this point? Uh yeah, that's about, um, I, I need about six weeks now to germinate a piece and then, you know, two weeks of intense, uh, excruciating pain thinking about writing it, <laughs> one to two days of writing it, and then the cycle starts again. Right. Yeah, that, ma- that, that makes sense. Um, and, and congratulations. You, I guess you fairly recently started, uh, as executive editor of, of the outline? Uh, at the end of last year, yeah. Okay, cool. And everyone should check out, um, the outline. I think it's a really interesting site. Um, so the, the, the piece that made me uh, think I uh, really wanted to get you on the program was uh, this one uh, titled, uh, quote, Be Yourself is Terrible Advice. And we'll, we'll provide a link to this and the other pieces we discuss below. Um, and yeah, I just thought this was, <laughs> this was a really interesting idea and one I hadn't Consider, consider before. So I guess kind of, can you start with talking about before you came to this realization about being yourself, uh, being a bad idea, like how you are acting in the world? Sure. I mean, like anyone uh, going through their post uh, teenage years and figuring out who they were, you know that it's a, it's a very interesting journey. And um, I think like there's this emphasis for my generation, which I guess is the millennial generation, especially that we should, you know, follow our passions, do what we want, be ourselves, uh, you know, go to a really expensive four-year college, no matter how much it costs, take out a lot of money to do that. And like, it's all about you, like following your truth, no matter what consequences may come of that. And so my conclusion was, you know, more philosophical that, in order to succeed in the world, both with relationships and with work, I couldn't actually be who I thought I was because that might feel right to me, but being live is about relationships and modifying your own personality to maintain those relationships. Right. And so you, you were writing for Gawker at this point. Uh huh. Um, and you talk about like um, live blogging a meeting that you're having with yeah. your boss and writing things that weren't flattering sure. about your boss or something like that sure. and doing, and, and also things in your personal life that you were, I don't know, like, were you like kind of telling it like it is like that was the, the idea that you had, like, you know, if, if you have the thought and you think it's the truth, then you might as well say it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a very, like, it's a very Trumpian type of logic. It's like no filter, I'm going to say what I want to say, uh, no matter if it completely offends people and maybe even repels them. Uh, and working at a site like Gawker, that was like a kind of a hot pot that really, uh, let that kind of attitude bloom. 
and uh, fester. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's it, it's interesting calling it Trumpian. Like, yeah, you know, you often hear like if they're interviewing a man on the street or something who supports Trump, they'll say so, someone would say like, you know, he really tells it like it is. Right. Um, and you know, I guess and like Gawker, uh, which I was never like a loyal reader of, but would read articles that you know became popular. Um, you know, also was like dedicated to saying the things that the old MSM wouldn't say because maybe they would be embarrassing to someone in power or, or talking about like open secrets in the media or uh, world or government or, or New York city or something that, you know, everyone sort of knew, but you couldn't tell the like normal people and then they would just, they would just say it. Um, and then, you know, as as we all know, um, since 2016, <laughs> Trump has become president, and Gawker went out of business. Um, so I don't know what to make make of that. Uh, maybe you can, you know, in a world where there are like libel laws, um, it can be exploited by someone like, um, but what's that? What's the guy's name who's, who was the mastermind of the lawsuit? Um, uh, Peter Thiel. Yeah, Peter Thiel, the uh, libertarian billionaire who masterminded the lawsuit about Hulk Hogan's sex tape. Um, and so that shuttered Gawker, although it morphed into a, a, a various other sites, I guess it mainly called Splinter, but anyway, but yeah, but like Trump has was like succeeded, not wildly. He is president, but he's not super popular. And so, okay. So I'm kind of rambling, but is there, was there something about 2016 in particular, that traumatic year for people left of center that made you realize like you didn't want to be this type of person anymore? Uh, I don't think it was that, um, I don't think it was like a global, any global, uh, event that really spurred this, but I actually think it was kind of a rejection. I mean, this kind of goes into what I read about irony, but who I wanted to be kind of like the kind of person I was, was now like how the entire world was like, you know, I've always been a depressed person. And then after Trump won, like everyone was depressed. And I was like, oh, I should try to be happy now. Cause I'm <laughs> like, that's going to be my project. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's how I kind of came to this, uh, Zen like realization after uh, some deep self examination. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is, um, you know, like there's a lot of things in the culture that tell us to be yourself. Um, I was, when I was reading your piece, I was reminded of the, um, Polonius's speech to Laertes in Hamlet, where he says, to thy own self be true. And that's mm-hmm. like one of the most famous quotes in Shakespeare. And there's people, you know, it's not clear whether that speech and that advice he gives is supposed to be ironic, like taken at, at face value or whether it's like bad advice because he tells him not to lend money when Shakespeare himself was a money lender. So that's oh. a little ambivalent, <laughs> but, um, but it does, like, I, I got my mom a magnet from when I, my wife and I went to um, the Shakespeare Museum or whatever in Stratford that said, to thy own self be true. And she has that magnet on her fridge right now. Um, so, so that's like a core idea. And then pre- yeah, pretty much every, I don't know, like every mainstream movie, it's like the, the core message is like, you just need to learn how to be yourself and then good things will happen or like, you know. Sure, like, it's a very like common theme in feminism now, like to be empowered to be like heard is to be yourself, but maybe uh, that's kind of like, it doesn't encourage a lot of nuance, which I think is, you know, basically the problem with the entire world. But 
<laughs> yeah, and that reminds me, there was there was an article, I'm pretty sure Amanda Marcotte was the author. It came out around 2015 or so, and there was like a new story about like a women's college sports team like causing havoc at a hotel or something and doing like kind of frat like traditional frat boy behavior and she was saying like this is a good thing like women you know women can express themselves in the way that the patriarchy has allowed men to express themselves for uh, right. millennia and i was thinking like well shouldn't we try to be trying to say like to the frat boy men like stop acting like assholes instead of right. saying oh women can act like assholes too now right. and we'll be we'll be fine right. with that so right. um but yeah there is definitely that strand of you know I mean, that's the kind of thing, like, you may have that opinion and you may think you're being yourself by expressing it, but in order to actually, like, approach the world and interact with the world in a productive manner, like, don't say it. <laughs> don't say it out loud. Like, maybe just tell a friend. Yeah, and that's one of your themes, repeated themes in your work, is the idea of, like, just not, don't say it, be quiet, don't, yeah. you know, um, don't tweet tweet out whatever you're going to, um, and, and that'll be better. Um, can you talk a little bit about the role that you're uh, getting a dog played in in this? Because you talk about that for a little in the yeah in the yeah, and you know I have a I'm very like self conscious of becoming a dog person, but I guess you know that's what I've done, and I have to accept it. Uh, <laughs> so I I had been thinking about getting a dog for a while, and I told my therapist that I was thinking about it, and he's like, "That's the best idea you've ever had." Like. You get a dog, like, you go outside more, like, you interact with the world more, people who have dogs live longer. Uh, and I was like, oh, like, you've never thought I had a good idea. So, like, <laughs> I have to get a dog. And uh, I think it really is, uh, like, a good thing for a, an, an introvert like me to have because if I don't have a reason to leave the house, like I probably wouldn't. Cause like, why would I ever leave? It's so nice here. Uh, but at the same time, that's like the worst thing you can do because then you just are like, why am I so lonely? And it's like, Oh, I haven't left the house in, in five days. Mm-hmm. So a dog, uh, you know, by nature of their uh, bathroom habits makes that kind of behavior impossible which I found to be good for my own uh, disposition. Yeah. And they're cute. Yeah. And your, your dog is, is is Instagram famous or Instagram semi-famous, I guess. Uh, I'm I'm really trying to keep her low key. Like, uh, like I don't want to have an Instagram celebrity dog. Like, I just don't want to do that. She's, she's much too dignified for that. (laughs) Even though she's the least dignified animal on the planet. Um, and what is she, what kind of dog is she? I'm sure you get asked that a thousand times. She's a Brussels Griffin. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a Belgian breed and they were used to catch rats in stables in the 18th century, but she has no talent for that. (laughs) Um, okay. I think I, I just came up with a possible segue to the next topic, which Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, dogs are like, like a dog can't be ironic. I don't think like a dog is sincere in, in right. everything it does. Right. And there's also a growing kind of online like community or persona or something based around dogs, loving dogs, posting pictures of dogs, rating dogs. And, and the guy who created this like, Twitter account, which has since become like a multimedia empire called we rate dogs. Uh-huh. Uh, he essentially just posts uh, cute pictures of dogs and 
um, you know, gives them a joke rating. It's always, it's always out of 10. So usually they get 12 out of 10 mm-hmm. and he created all these or either created or, you know, appropriated all these words like doggo and pupper mm-hmm. and all these other things, uh, you know, about how dogs are <laughs> cute and adorable. And so you see, there's like a backlash to this online from some of the like irony types, especially on Twitter where you see people making fun of this and being like, you know, this guy makes me want to, you know, stick a, a knife in my eye or something. But, um, but I feel like if you do have a dog or ever, ever loved a dog, like you kind of get it and you move past the level of irony where, uh, into just being like, yeah, this dog is great. This dog is amazing. <laughs> um, yeah. so, but you, you wrote a piece that this came out in the middle of last year. Um, the headline is bring back irony. It's the only antidote to our all too earnest age. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, but it's not exactly irony. You want, well, okay. So you, you talk about how it's not that irony has gone away. It's that something else has a kind of, um, you know, monster has been created between earnestness, <laughs> earnestness and irony, which you call ur- urgent earnestness or earn. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, that this weird beast has like, take it over. So can you talk a little bit about that idea? Sure. Um, I mean, most of my recent work kind of stems from the fact that I, I read a lot of Kierkegaard at some point last year. So he's kind of a, a, a constant theme there, but he really, um, his theory of irony was that it was just a form of distance from whatever was happening, whether, you know, in, in the, in, public life and private life and you would take that distance to kind of analyze what was happening and not be so quick to uh issue like a snap judgment uh and like the internet is basically the inverse of that and it's just encouraging uh opinions at like a a, a rapid pace and it's kind of like like I don't use Twitter anymore except sometimes to like spy on my employees and see if they're tweeting about me um, <laughs> I do want to talk about that about getting off of Twitter sure. your, your choice to do that but we'll touch that later <laughs> and um but I'll go on now and like you'll go to one person's profile and they'll be like North Korea we're not doing the right thing cheeseburgers are awesome puppies I love look at this gif of a puppy Syria we need to intervene. And it's like, how can one person like have that many, like, you know, opinions like on every single subject. And it's like, I, you know, my personality unfortunately comes across as being sort of a know it all, but I like to approach most things as if I know nothing because it's true. I don't know anything really at all. Uh, You know, I don't know what we should do about North Korea. I don't, know uh if cheeseburgers are the best <laughs> like, uh that there's no um like impair impetus for uh like curiosity and learning because everyone just wants to be an expert on everything and i think that's uh where this philosophical irony comes in because there's just no space between us and whatever is happening um yeah and you uh, yeah you so you just on kierkegaard you mentioned you Kierkegaard and the, and the previous essay we discussed. Um, so, and I noted that and it made me think of, well, there's a well-known Twitter account that mocks Kierkegaard combined with Kim Kardashian called Kim Kierkegaardashian. Right. And, um, and they recently published a book in the last year or so. And so the, the, if you've never seen this, they combine quotes 
uh, from Kierkegaard that are about like, you know, the dark night of the soul with a very like vapid quote from Kim Kardashian about, you know, makeup brushes or, or something like that and makes and our <laughs> silly juxtaposition. Um, but <laughs> so, so I don't know if it is, I don't know if that's irony or what exactly. Um, but it just, yeah. So why, can you just talk a little bit more about how Kierkegaard fits into these things? Cause I, I really know nothing about him aside from that account. I'm ashamed to say. Uh, I mean, well, he's very helpful when you're trying to, uh, like think about yourself and like how to conduct yourself in the public sphere because he really had his approach to the self is very interesting because he's just like what is it I have no idea like if I am a then I I, am I also b and like the quote I have in the uh be yourself piece I don't have it with me right now but it's like very you know it's 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 stoner quality but it's also like very when you when you break down the self in such a way, you're like, oh, like, I don't really have to be a certain way. Like, there's room for me to do other things. I don't have to uh, issue a, a judgment on everything that's happening. Right. Yeah. And, and that was actually something I, I did want to mention that in the talking about the, you know, don't be yourself article is that you, you bring up the idea that, well, what is the self? Maybe there is no self. Right. And that has like, you know, both Eastern and Western philosophical traditions supporting this idea that how can you be yourself? Maybe that thing doesn't even exist. Um, and uh, Heidegger, the Nazi philosopher also like encouraged this type of distance uh, from the self. Like he was like, you only find yourself if you are thinking about your death. So they both kind of encourage this distance from yourself in order to find out who yourself is, it, who yourself are. Is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it might be two selves. I don't know. Mm-hmm up to you um so so in your piece can you define earn a little bit more because uh, i mean I, you know where you know on social media you can kind of build your own you know newspaper or whatever your own feed that you that you see right. so i fi- follow a lot of very ironic people and people mm-hmm. who joke around all the time um and you know like on weird twitter left weird twitter um, so those people, they haven't, you know, they haven't embraced sincerity. They're still on the, <laughs> they're still on the right. irony bandwagon for sure. But then, yeah, there's, there's, so that, but then there's the We Rate Dogs and all sorts of other people who are, you know, posting stuff about their real feelings and, yeah, being very sincere. And sometimes, right. may, maybe sometimes it's a like fake sincerity because they just want you to follow them or to right. like buy their artwork or something along those lines. But, but yeah, so, so, okay, can you talk about how their irony and sincerity have combined? Uh, yes, so I define earn uh, as urgent earnestness, and it's the kind of thing where you log on and you see someone being like, you know, Trump is a Nazi, like, we must act now. But, like, that's just being said in a tweet, and then, like, nothing is actually happening, just the proclamation of the intention to act or the... Uh, urge to act but then the action uh is never like so tangible so an example i used which is not uh directly that but like the the big women's march in uh january after trump got elected was like totally uh kind of diffuse where there's a lot of infighting and people fighting over what it meant and in the end they didn't really they were just marching because they were women (laughs) and it's like Sure, I support women, but like, why are we marching? Because mm-hmm. like, 
you know, this is not to deny the therapeutic aspect of that experience, but it's like if a political action is supposed to uh, lend itself to progress, what is that progress? Like catharsis is not progress. Mm-hmm. Um, so what can, if we, if we return to irony, what, mm-hmm. what can irony, how can irony help the situation? Well, irony would be like, Oh, I'm so mad about Trump. So I'm going to like, uh, log off and like go like uh canvas or something or like volunteer or actually like lend bodily sweat to a cause rather than like uh my fingertips so that's more like the like uh the Kierkegaard or uh was it Kierkegaard or Heidegger who you mentioned who has the the distance the philosophical distance from from something well Heidegger's like okay you should just think about how you're gonna die all the time and that will make you so depressed that maybe you'll be spurred into doing something uh worthwhile that's a very rough reading uh and Kierkegaard was basically like maybe just talk about what's happening more instead of like rushing to the streets uh banging pots and pans okay yeah uh, it's it's yeah it's hard to know how you know how people can uh you know affect <laughs> affect change in any way i mean when you're on twitter you feel like you're doing something even though you're mostly right. not doing anything, right. but also like what, like you, you, you know, if you get into a like Twitter war or something with someone else on there, like you're affecting their life and you might be making their day worse or something, but, and you're probably making your own day worse as well. Right. Um, but yeah, not, it's harder. It, you know, there's, there are positive aspects of the platform and social media in general in terms of like organizing and finding out information. But, um, yeah, it's mostly, mostly you haven't accomplished anything. And, you know, there's just, there's, there's seemingly hundreds of thousands or millions of people on Twitter who feel like they're waging a daily battle. Um, and when they're really accomplishing almost nothing, but, but I guess I don't, I don't see how, is it irony to walk away? I mean, it seems like irony to me would be like sniping from the sidelines and making snide jokes or something, but maybe, are, are there different forms, are we talking about different forms of irony? I mean, I think irony is like a rejection of what becomes the status quo. So after Trump was elected, when everyone, the liberal elite became enraged and like wanting to do something, but not actually doing anything, just appearing like they were doing things like the ironist is like, I'm going to disengage with the tools that these people use to do nothing and either go and do nothing in silence or actually do something. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I, there's also like the, yeah, and this is again with like these different kind of shades of what irony means, but you know, because Trump is such a weird, uh, absurd figure and like life has seemingly become so surreal, right. um, <laughs> for the past couple of years, it's like, does, you know, what does irony add to that situation? And, um, I, had a conversation on this platform that hasn't posted yet with a uh, philosopher who was writing about how, you know, maybe we've worn out satire because like mm-hmm. social media has made it that uh, you can't tell what's real anymore. Whereas before with satire, you, you, there was a level at which you knew it wasn't, it wasn't actually real. Um, but yeah, so it, it's, I don't know. We live in confusing times. Um so, yeah, so, okay, well, let's, um, 
let's shift to the third piece that I want to discuss. Sure. Um, the headline is, can you be a good person if you don't read the news? Um, so, yeah, what, do you, what did you find out? <laughs> What's the answer? Uh, I think the answer is absolutely yes. Uh, I would encourage people not to read more than one or two news sources a day for, I think it's a public health issue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I just, a quote that I liked um, from this is you write, I have come to believe that an essential form of self care is consuming as little national news as possible. And I will argue that this is an ethical choice. So, yeah. So like after Trump was elected, you know, the, the New York Times and the Washington Post, like their subscriptions went up, you know, maybe like doubled or something. Yeah. And it's, it, people were like, this is your patriotic duty. If you oppose Trump to, you know, support journalism because Trump opposes, you know, it says yeah. journalists are the enemy and, and, but also like just to be educated right. and know what's going on. Um, so like that impulse, like appeals to me for sure. Um, but there's also like the overload aspect to it that, uh, the internet and, and social media provides. Right. Uh, and I think it also is, is problematic because it really puts journalists and journalism on this like insane pedestal. And it's like, well, <laughs> like uh, journalists are not always doing things that are like, so to get information that are so admirable, uh, especially with Trump, it's like, reporters who cover him sometimes are like, oh, he's amazing, or, or like, you know, even leaning that way, uh, no matter what's happening. And uh, I think, and then the people who read it might internalize that kind of bent, which seems wrong to me, <laughs> or like, uh, you know, maybe that's not what you want. So I, I tend to read uh, just the news wires, because uh, I like to get information in the most unfiltered state uh, as possible. Uh, so this would be like the Associated Press and Reuters? Yeah. yeah. And um, sorry, I think I lost the thread of the original question. Um, well, I don't even know if there was one. But um, okay, yeah. So what would you say to someone who feels like, um, you know, they are getting something from, you know, checking Twitter? every 15 minutes to see if there's been some new yeah. development. I mean, the Mueller report is over, but that was kind of a co- like an unspooling story, constant small developments, right. unclear what the import of any of them was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say that there, in general, I would say that a lot of people who are now into news now are not into news before. So that's great, but they should have been into news before uh, instead of just like assuming Obama was doing good things. That's beside the point. Uh, now I would say, like, get a hobby. <laughs> uh, that can, like, I took up sewing uh, for a while. I was, like, embroider. Uh, I redownloaded The Sims. Uh, I, took, I took social media off my phone, and I read, uh, I just had a Kindle app, and I read 70 books within, like, the first few months. Nice. Uh, because, like, the screens, we feel like you need to be, you want to be looking at them all the time, so you have to give yourself another pleasure pleasure center when you go to them besides uh, 
you know, these, these, uh, insipid platforms. Um, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, that makes sense. Like getting a hobby. I, 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 when you said that, I thought, Oh, but my hobby is Twitter. So that, so that's like, <laughs> that's a, not great. Um, so maybe I should look for something else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I try not to get consumed in the like tribal warfare aspects of I mean, it's super fun. like, I still enjoy like a good Twitter own or a good Twitter fight. Like it's, it's, there's something like so surreal and funny about it, but it's too dangerous for me to, to go on at any length because I'll just want to be on it forever. Yeah. And so, so why don't we talk about you deciding to like essentially lock your account. You, you gave the password to a friend of yours yes. or your, a friend of yours changed the password. And so you, yes. you can't log in yourself. Yes. So why, why did you decide to do that? Uh, I think I just got to a point where I was like, this, this is a compulsion and I don't derive any joy from it. And in fact, it's, uh, it makes me feel bad about myself because like, I'll, tweet what I thought maybe was a funny joke and it will get like one like and I'll be like, well, I'm a total failure. And then, you know, that's like not a, a great way to measure your life. So I was like, I'll just like try going off for a month and seeing like what changes. Uh, but now I'm almost at a year. So I'm a year Twitter sober, which is. Wow. I never, I've never heard that phrase before, but um, it makes sense in a way. Yeah. It, it definitely is addicting and you get a, I assume the, a similar kind of like reinforcement in your brain that like doing drugs gives yeah, you. Definitely, uh, definitely. It's, it's lots of, lots of little, you know, small little, right. Oh, I got to like, Oh, I got to retweet. And then you follow her. want more and more and you just can't, you maybe can't get that. And, you know, I, I was just like, I don't want to be tweeting like when I'm 60. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, in a way, that's optimistic, thinking that Twitter and us will be around, uh, you know, whenever that is, 30, 30 years into the future. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I recently um, uh, uh, dropped my phone and broke the screen for the first time ever mm-hmm. in my lifetime of owning a smartphone. Mm-hmm. And that did having to before I was like, okay, I'll just get the screen fixed. Um, when I was like having to be very ginger with it and move my finger more slowly on the screen mm-hmm. and also being like cognizant of like picking it up and stuff. Mm-hmm. I was, I, I did like seem to develop a more of a distance from the relationship I have with it and yeah. um, how often I was, I was doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like, I don't know. You kind of have to like see the the upsides uh, to not being able to like be available all the time. That's really the thing I like about it most is no one knows where I am anytime because I'm not literally giving that information away to thousands of people. And I don't <laughs> feel guilty like, like, Oh, I haven't gotten to this, this draft yet. I need to answer this email. But then I would like treat like, Oh my God, like, Real Housewives is crazy. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, they must think I'm so lazy. Like, I'm not doing work. Uh, but you don't have Twitter and you're not willingly giving away this information. You can do whatever you want all the time. It's incredible. 
Okay. Yeah. So yeah, for you, it really was like cutting the chains and, and experiencing freedom. Um, do you think, um, so, you know, you're, you work in media. I work in media in some way, some way. Um, and a lot of like, there's media Twitter and a lot of people on there and they feel like they have to be on there, even if maybe they don't want to be. Um, but you, so, uh, but you, uh, you know, we talked before you were recently were promoted and, um, maybe you're secure enough in your like professional yeah. level that you are yeah. okay not having this part. Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely, like, I'm, I'm absolutely in a privileged position. At, I'm at a place in my career where I don't need to be like self promoting all the time. Maybe if I did it more, I would be more successful, but I'm kind of happy uh, where I'm at. And I'm, I try to think whether uh, not having Twitter would have affected me earlier on, but I don't think I ever tweeted anything that was good. I was never like, oh, that's a good tweet and someone would see that and want to hire me. It's like, I don't really think that ever happened. And I do find writers over Twitter uh, from time to time, but mostly uh, I don't think it's like that crucial a tool or has in my, in my career. Yeah. And I mean, you know, it didn't like exist 15 years ago and right. the industry, uh, you know, continued on, but um, yeah. And you, you, I, it's pro- it'd probably be unusual for like a single tweet to like land someone a job or interview or something. Maybe if you were like a comedy writer and you wrote a really, really funny tweet, right. so right. you're like, who is this person? Can I, have right. with them. Um, but, they, but you do kind of get like a sense of either who a person is or who are the, they are very good at pretending to be right. online. And then you could be like, well, this is the kind of person I would want to ask to come in for an interview or so, or something along those lines. Um, so, yeah. So also, I don't know. It's like, unless your job is to be good at Twitter, why are you on Twitter all t- the time? Mm-hmm. You have a job? <laughs> right yeah so if you're looking for a social media manager then you want to look at their twitter feed but um right. but for other positions um maybe not um so there was a there was a quote in in this piece uh you quote a woman named um myra levinson um a professor at harvard and uh she says uh she wrote so this article came out um like around june or july last year uh, everybody's a finite amount of cognitive and emotional capacity and if we spend it on things like horse face instead of climate change it's actually an unethical use of our cognitive and emotional capacity so when i was re- and horse face is linked in your article and i was like horse face what, what was horse face like like those masks that people like the horse masks that people wear uh, and then i clicked I clicked on it i was like oh yeah trump called stormy daniels horse face <laughs> Right, right. And that drove everyone crazy for like 36 hours. Right. But then it had totally, like so many things have happened since then. Right. And it totally exited my mind. Right. And also it was totally, it didn't matter in the least really. Like right. we already knew Trump was a jerk and treated women badly and called them names. So the freak out about that right. um, was a waste of time. Right. And yeah, so the, and, you know, this article was published nine months ago and I don't even remember what <laughs> that reference was to. So uh, yeah, and, there, and so there's just things like this constantly going across our screens and what, you know, what is the thing that we're all angry about now that, you, you know, one wouldn't even remember six months from now. I don't know. I don't read the news. <laughs> there you go. Um, so do you ever read opinion writing like uh, the New York Times up page or anything? 
No, because that that was one of my first jobs. So um, working on that page. So, you know, it's like if you work at like a, a maybe you work at a, some kind of like fusion restaurant and then afterward you're like, I can, you come home every day smelling of that food and afterward you're like, I can never eat that again. <laughs> That's kind of what, like. Okay, was, so you you saw how the sausage is made. It was in- absolutely the most uh, uh, influential experience I've ever had. I learned almost everything I know from working there, uh, but <laughs> not like very uh, very interesting place. Not not something I want to continue doing. That's interesting, um, and. Since you're not on social media, I guess we cannot discuss the Vanity Fair article about Barry Weiss that sure, everyone yeah. was was talking I about did, yesterday. I did hear about it. Yeah, I did. Well, <laughs> well, um, I would say for anyone who hasn't read that, skip it. It's not worth it. Um, I definitely don't talk about it online. Um, okay, so I think those are the, those are the three articles I wanted to discuss. So we can't promote your Twitter because you're not really on there anymore. I will promote it. I mean, I want people to see it and be like, who is that? She's so mysterious. Uh, <laughs> okay. So what is your Twitter handle again? My name, Leah Finnegan. So one word, Leah Finnegan. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, I like, I'm, so, I'm like sad for me that you are not on Twitter anymore because you were like an entertaining, uh, interesting presence on there, but for the sake of your own like mental health I and well-being. <laughs> Definitely, definitely a good thing that you're not on there anymore. Um, I am A R Y E H C W. If anyone wants to uh, follow me, and so you, um, so the out is it the outline dot net or dot com dot com outline dot com. And also, is there a URL for a for Leah letter? Uh, there's a link link in bio at at my Twitter page. Okay, cool. So and that yeah. link will be will be below. Um, Okay, so <laughs> anything else you want to plug or anything before we wrap up? Uh, no, I have nothing to plug. Okay, cool. Um, I, I don't either. So, um, so um, thank you, Leah, for coming on and having this interesting, fun conversation. And thank you to all of our viewers and listeners. And we'll see you again next time. Thank you. Before you go, a quick message from the suits at Meaning of Life TV. Meaning of Life will always be free for you to watch and listen to, and we don't even go the NPR route of guilting you into donating during Pledge Week. But we do have a small request. If you enjoy Meaning of Life programming, rate and review us on iTunes. The iTunes algorithm weighs positive reviews heavily, so taking a few minutes to rate and review us will help more people find out about our shows. Also, of course, we encourage you to subscribe to our Twitter and Facebook feeds. Thank you.